This is the second week of a series, a three-week series called Pray, Vote, Pray. Um, the title of today's message is Vote Righteousness. And you can find the notes at lifeway.church forward slash notes, N-O-T-E-S. Uh, it's going to be listed there, and you can look at the notes. I'm pointing out the fact that the notes are there because today's going to be full of quotes from people, okay? I don't want to misquote anyone. I know that there's a lot of fact check going on, fact check, fact, fact checking going on, and I want to be accurate because if the Lord has called uh, us to communicate truth, then we want to be truthful. I don't want to stretch anything, don't want to take and put words in anyone's mouth. Um, and as a pastor, I realize my responsibility and my position before you this morning. I said last week that um, I'm not a politician, I'm not a historian, I'm not a political analyst. Um, it interests me, but when, and I hope you're like I am, when I feel my emotions rising too much and like I'm going to uh, be out of control and I want to hit somebody, I turn off the radio. I turn off the TV <laughs> and I say, Lord, help me. Help me. Um, guys, I just, we have to admit this first thing here before we go any further that we're in a space right now where there's tension there's political unrest, there's racial tension, there's, it, it, it is, it's inflamed. If you've ever had anything inflamed in your body, it doesn't feel good, right? And there's pain there. And so everybody is at their last nerve. If anybody in this room is like me, we're saying, please let this thing come to pass. Let, let, let's move past this COVID past this thing called the election. Pat, let's just get over it and past it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yes. It's not, it's not wrong to admit that we have those feelings, but listen, we need to go before God and lay our feelings out before Him, not in front of other people. Because I know you're like me and our family and the closest people to you sometimes when we have those feelings that we're dealing with, we, we take it out on them. And that's not fair to them, right? Um, we have to depend on God now more than ever before in the situation that we're in, in this climate that we're in. So last week I started talking about prayer because I believe prayer proceeds hearing God's voice. When we humble ourselves, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their ways, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. So God is wanting to do something, but he's waiting for us to humble ourselves. And I went over humility and how it's, it's powerful. And when we, when we come into the presence of God, we pour out ourself and our heart and get rid of our flesh so, so that he can fill us up with his spirit and we went there last week. This week we're moving towards, now we need to vote. We pray, we vote, and then we pray after we vote. It's not just like, oh, here we've done our duty and we don't have to do anything anymore. Prayer for a Christian proceeds and, and goes behind everything, right? Yes. 
we should sandwich everything in prayer. That would be a good scripture or a good uh, sermon title. Sandwich everything. Make a prayer sandwich. <laughs> Just take everything and cover it in prayer. Look at Psalm 11. Psalm 11. I woke up this morning and uh, between you and I and the fence post, or and now everybody knows, but I was nervous. I was just nervous. And the first thing that I heard God say to me this morning is, I'm not nervous. And man, that just, that ministered to me. So my day is already going really good. Um, when you have the Lord speaking to you like that, I wasn't asking the Lord to tell me anything because I believe his word is true and what he said yesterday is for today as well. Um, Psalm 11.3 says this. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I'm here to tell you, in case you haven't noticed, our foundations are under attack. And we, as the church, cannot let those foundations be destroyed on our watch. Our founding father, John Hancock, said, I urge you by all that is dear, by all that is honorable, by all that is sacred, not only that you pray, but you act. So even John Hancock, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, encouraged us not just to pray, but we should act. And so, yes, we must pray for our nation, but we also need to act by voting. And it's not only our right as an American citizen, but it's our duty. And that's a, that seems like a really tough and bad word. And, and we associate it with work, W-O-R-K, and oh, I just don't want to work. I don't want to do my duty. I just, no. But we, we have an obligation because God called us salt and light in the earth. And it said, don't hide that light under a bushel, but let it shine. So it's not that we need to go protest or hold up banners or shout it from the rooftops who we're going to vote for, okay? But we do need to vote. We do need to act. Our American history is being rewritten by historical revisionists that want to erase anything that is remotely connected to God. There's an agenda to turn our country into an ungodly unrighteous nation. If you don't see that, <laughs> it's time to open our eyes. There is an enemy called Satan that is against us, and we should be alarmed. This should call us to prayer, and it should call us to action. Look at another scripture, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Now, we also should remember scriptures like, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world, right? We're not against people. We just said, we see people. We love people. And you can't love someone and minister to them and hate them at the same time. And so we need to Put down our swords and spears, get on our knees, and implore God to heal, going back to 2 Chronicles 7.14, heal our nation. Lord, this is out of our power, but we do have to act, right? 
We don't give in. We don't give up. But we have to act. Proverbs 14, 34 says this. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Can anybody and everybody say amen? Amen. Righteousness lifts up a nation and exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. The New Living Translation said, Godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And so there's, uh, we need to talk about the word righteous. Because right, people have this d- different, different idea, weird idea about righteous. Uh, we want to think that righteousness means you're perfect, but it's not. Righteousness actually is a position before God that we are in agreement with his character and his word. And it's, it's a place that was provided to you and I through the blood of Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness. When we believe on him and begin to follow Jesus, we, God puts us in that place of righteousness. We are righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We have all these scriptures And we are put in that position of being righteous, but we have to live righteously. We have to walk out that righteousness, and we have to take our place and our position in that. That is doing what God does and thinking like God thinks, and we find that through his word. So righteousness is our standard, and we should not let that standard down. God holds that righteous standard And again, it doesn't mean being perfect. It just means being in a position through the blood of Jesus that you're acceptable to God. Jesus did that for us. He made us acceptable to the Heavenly Father. And it's it's a place that He put us in. But He says that righteousness exalts a nation or lifts up, up that nation and sin pushes the nation down. We could say that. Sin is a reproach. Sin is a disgrace. Sin pushes a nation down. And that's what we see right in front of us. Sin pushes a nation down. A lot of churches don't want to talk about sin. Sin, well, you just have issues, no problem. No, there is a problem. Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) The aircraft is about to blow up. What are we going to do? And God tells us, he gives us instructions on how to change our direction and walk in a righteous way. Okay? He helps us to do that by His Holy Spirit. So I believe and I've seen that uh, some Christians don't recognize righteousness and unrighteousness. They just don't see it. And I think there's one reason why some Christians don't see righteousness and unrighteousness. Because Barna did a a survey last year, from last year, that... uh, Only 25% of professing and practicing Christians live in households that regularly pray and read the Bible together. That's one out of four. And if you have 25% of the Christians, only 25% of the Christians reading and praying, but they profess to believe the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? It, 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 It would be like driving a V8 and only having two cylinders working. Can you get that? If you had a V8 and you're 
well, this thing's supposed to go at least the speed limit, but I can't even get it up to 20 miles an hour. What's wrong? I'm going to take it back to the manufacturer and say, uh, you, you gave me a dud here. We're not firing on all eight cylinders. We, we're not recognizing what's righteous and what's unrighteous. We just say, oh, okay. Oh, we, we take the attitude of, well, God's just got it all. He's just, he's got it all. He's sovereign. Whatever he does, whatever happens is God's will. No, that's not the truth. His will is that we be exalted as a nation. Now, not prideful exaltation. We're not saying that America is, we're number one. We're number one. I covered that last week too about the pride issue, okay? We can't be proud as Christians. Come on. Somebody say amen. <laughs> amen. We shouldn't be proud, proud that we're a Christian. We didn't do anything to earn it. He did it all and he gave it to us. And we're blessed just to be and, and privileged to be called his sons and daughters. It's nothing we did. So, if you were born in America, you didn't have a choice to be born in America. Your parents did, had a choice where they were going to birth you. But again, it's not something that we tie around our shoulders and say, USA, USA, we're American, you stink. Come on. <laughs> I can say that because I'm American. I was born here. I love this country, but hey, pride stinks in the face of God. And again, I'm going back to last week when I said that God wants us to humble ourselves and turn from our ways so that he can heal our land. Strength comes when we humble ourselves. Now, if we want our nation to be exalted and experience God's best, we should vote for candidates and platforms that promote righteousness, not sin. Okay? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33, the Amplified Classic says this, but seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, which is his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given to you besides Seek first the kingdom of God, all these things are going to be added to you. But seeking first the kingdom of God means seeking his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. That is righteousness. So it's time for the body of Christ to wake up and look at the truth and vote righteousness. We need to realize that there's an enemy, again, attempting to use everything and every person that he can to shut the mouth of the church as well as the doors of the church. And I'm here to tell you that God is not going to let that happen. And his church is not going to let that happen. Now we have to walk in righteousness. We can't walk in fear and anger. Again, I'm pointing back to last week. Go back and listen to what fear and anger produces. Produces bitterness, hatred, and division. And that's where we've been living. It's like the youth camp. There's 200 kids and they're in the, the stands, one side and one side. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? 
And the other side is, if we love Jesus, yes, we do. We love Jesus, how about you? And then they're arguing over, we love more. We love him more. We love him more. Like, really? We're fighting over. You guys get it, right? <laughs> there's 60 million committed Christians in America. Now, there's 328.2 million people that live in America. But there's 60 million committed Christians in America, plus or minus 100 or two. I'm just throwing general numbers out there. But there's only 30 million that vote, and that's half. 30 million out of 60 million Christians vote. If every Christian votes their values and votes righteously, we can change the future of our nation and truly see America as blessed by God, one nation under God. The past 25 years, no presidential election has been won by a margin of more than 10 million votes. Pause right there and think about that. 60 million Christians, 30 million of them vote. 30 million don't vote. And over the past 25 years, no presidential election has been won by a margin of more than 10 million votes. And during that same period of time, approximately 100 million people of voting age have not voted. How can this be? We, we realize the need to, to engage in politics and, and become part of the solution instead of part of the problem. I don't think we fully realize that we can become part of the solution. We need to become part of the solution, not part of the problem. So, look at Proverbs 29, verse 2. I'm being scriptural because... I know that this, this is, I need to be scriptural. I know where I stand as a pastor. I have to stand on the word. I cannot stand on my opinion or your opinion. God is not impressed with my, my opinion. We need to be truth seekers and fact checkers. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Psalm 33, 12. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And as for this election, God is not interested in whose side we're on, but who is on God's side. And my purpose this morning is not to persuade you, but to educate you. Not to endorse any particular candidate or party, because I can't do that. I don't believe that's right anyway. Just like I said last week, I'm referring back to something I said, and you can go back and listen to it. I trust you. I trust that you hear from God. And as a pastor, that's huge. I don't think you're so dull of hearing God's voice that I have to tell you what to do, right? We don't ever tell people that are, are members of Lifeway Church, call us whenever you make a really important decision because we're going to tell you what God says. What kind of pastor is that, right? 
right? <laughs> you, you want pastors that believe in you. I believe that you can hear from God. I believe that you have the Holy Spirit and that he's speaking to you. Plus, I'm not running for office and my name is not on any ballot. And I'm responsible as a pastor to point you to the truth and encourage you to obey God. During the rest of this message, I'm not going to call the names of the presidential candidates because I will not endorse a single candidate. I, can point, I point to the issues at hand and to what the party platforms have stated in their own words. Because we should realize that we're not just voting on a king. People think that we're voting for a king. But we're electing a president that is standing on a certain party's platform. Let me say this. A president hasn't been able to or will never be able to do whatever he or she wants to do without the agreement of the other branches of government. Thank God we live in a country that has the executive, legislative, and the judicial branches of government. Can somebody say amen? amen. This is a republic, guys, and this is how it works. I'm sure there's a YouTube video somewhere that talks about civics for five minutes and gives you the basics of civics, something that we learned in elementary school and in high school, right? So God is not nervous who's sitting in the White House because Jesus is sitting on the throne. <laughs> never has been nervous and never will be nervous. And any president that we've ever elected or will ever elect in the future is not perfect. Just like there's not a perfect pastor. To a large degree, us Americans have made politics a popularity contest. Or even one with the most money wins. Which has compromised the integrity of our political system. Now, this is going to be parentheses. This is exactly what I'm, this is what I believe in parentheses. I believe we need term limits and I believe we need reform. 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 That's if you're from South Georgia. Reform. Or reform. Things need to change. Okay? But, but, again, we're working with imperfect people with imperfect systems. We're not living in heaven yet. So there's a lot of imperfection that we're dealing with. So if I'm asking you for grace, or, grace and mercy, guess what? I have to give you grace and mercy. Let's have grace and mercy. The church needs to pray for political reform and get involved. If we want things to turn around, now is the time that we need to get involved. The resources that I'm going to be using for these issues that I'm looking at are found, and they're going to put them up there so that you can follow along. They're in the notes as well. MyFaithVotes.com millionvoices.org, voteundergod.com, and ivoterguide.com. This is where you can find out the information. So if I say something that interests you, you can go back and look at it, okay? I'm not throwing you a political curveball so that you believe things that I'm saying without checking them out yourself. Hopefully I'm encouraging you. My purpose is to encourage you to dig yourself to, to look for truth. Be a truth seeker. Don't believe everything you hear 
somebody else say. Well, they said that party believes this or that or the other. We're going to look at some of the issues. The first issue I want to look at is religious freedoms because it's so important. It's important to me as a pastor because I believe that this country was established so that we could worship God. And this is what we're doing right now. And this is near and dear to my heart. I believe it's what God called me to do. And so it does affect me. If the state stops, uh, steps in and starts closing down churches just for the fun of it, just because they don't like churches anymore, then that affects the body of Christ. And so religious freedom is very important to me. Here's what the Democratic Party said about religious freedom. Democrats, this is in their own words, okay? Democrats celebrate America's history of religious pluralism, plural, pluralism and tolerance and recognize the countless acts of service of our faith communities as well as the paramount importance of maintaining the separation between church and state enshrined in our Constitution. Well, let me just say that the separation between church and state is not enshrined in our Constitution. In fact, that, that phrase, the separation of church and state, is not even found in the Constitution. It was a statement that was written in a letter by Thomas Jefferson, wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association on January 1st of 1802. You can find this in the Library of Congress. That's where I'm quoting it from. Library of Congress website. Here's what Thomas Jefferson said to the Danbury Baptist Association. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to no other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people which declared that their legislator, legislature should make no law respecting an establish, establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. So what he was saying there, he didn't say, by the way, could you insert this into the Constitution? He didn't say that, and it wasn't inserted into the Constitution. It's never been in the Constitution. But it was to prevent the state from establishing a church like the Church of England, which the Americans had come out from under the Church of England, that sovereign church that was uh, instituted by the King of England. Okay? So this statement of separation in church and state is not in the Constitution, and it was only used in a letter to say that the state should not have an uh, established church. Like, we only recognize the Baptist church. Nobody else can have a church unless it's Baptist church. But if you look at our founding documents and writings of our founding fathers, they expressed their faith in God all over the place. If you go up to Washington, you'll see the Ten Commandments all over the place. You'll see uh, God, the word God all over the place because they had a reverence for God and they worshiped God. It wasn't that they were trying to take God out of, out of the country and God out of the state. They were making provisions for 
the free worship of God. And we're not going to uh, mess with the church. We're not going to say you have to go to church or you can't go to church. The state should not control the church. And so the Republican Party says this about our religious freedoms. We value the right of America's religious leaders to preach and Americans to speak freely according to their faith. Republicans believe the federal government, specifically the IRS, is constitutionally prohibited from policing or censoring speech based on religious convictions or beliefs. We pledge to defend the religious beliefs and rights of conscience of all Americans and to safeguard religious institutions against government control. We strongly support the freedoms of Americans to act in accordance with their religious beliefs, not only in their houses of worship, but also in their everyday lives. That is what the Republican Party said. So, God and government. Faith, here's the statement of the platform. God and government. Faith has a place in our heritage, government, and institutions. And the phrase, separation of church and state, is not found in the Constitution. Republicans support that. The Democrats oppose that. Protection for asserting religious beliefs, which means protect individuals, including health workers and business owners, against forced violations of faith and conscience. The Republicans support that. The Democrats oppose that. And we've seen examples of that, where there's been court cases where people are forced to do things that violate their conscience. How about the right to life? Another issue that's very important. Right to life. Here's what the Democratic Party says in their own words. Again, we will appoint U.S. Supreme Court justices and federal judges who will respect and enforce foundational precedents, including Roe versus Wade. Democrats believe every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We oppose and will fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to women's reproductive health and rights. That's in their own words. Here's the Republican Party. The Constitution's guarantee that no one can be, be deprived of life, liberty, or property deliberately echoes the Declaration of Independence proclamation that all are endowed by their creator with the inalienable right to life. Accordingly, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to children before birth. This is in their own words. They have their platforms published, guys. I went there and I saw it. So, the issue of sanctity of life, to require care for infants after failed abortions, ban dismemberment abortion, restrict late-term abortion, and no taxpayer funding of abortion is supported by the Republicans and opposed by the Democrats. The issue of late-term abortion and Planned Parenthood, late-term abortion and Planned Parenthood should be unrestricted, late-term abortion 
should be allowed. Taxpayer funding for Planned Parenthood and other providers is supported by the Democrats and opposed by the Republicans. The next issue, marriage and sexuality. The Democratic Party says Democrats applaud this year's U.S. Supreme Court decision that made clear that employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity violates the law. We will fight to enact the Equality Act. We will work, and you need to find out what the Equality Act says. It's, it's, it's very deep. Guys, on a platform you see, like this platform, there's different planks, and each one of those planks are a different issue that we're bringing up here. The first was freedom for religious or re religion religious freedom, the sanctity of life, marriage and sexuality. Each one of those planks is on the platform. So you have to consider each one of those planks. But then there's carpet on top of that. <laughs> you need to take the carpet off and look at each individual plank. And I know that's a lot of research, and it can be very um, disturbing. It can be very tedious to look under the cover and find out what's going on, but it's our responsibility. We need to vote intelligently and not just cover our eyes and go, bink. It's like taking the Bible and say, God has a word for me, okay? Bink, there it is. These are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. No joke, that's, that's Amos 4, 5, 10. <laughs> Amos 5, 10. That, that, that's not a good scripture. <laughs> You can't just take something out of context and say, wow, isn't that wonderful? No, you have to look at the whole thing. I mean, if you bought a brand new car, and guess what? They left out the spark plugs. How are you going to drive that car? Something's missing. We don't know what it is. Everything looks like it's in its place. But it takes me a couple of hours to find out the spark plugs aren't there, right? Good analogy. Here's what the Republican Party says about marriage and sexuality. Foremost among those institutions is the American family. It is the foundation of civil society, and the cornerstone of the family is natural marriage, the union of one man and one woman. We oppose the imposition of a social and cultural revolution upon the American people who wrongly defining sex discrimination, reshaping our entire society to fit the mold of an ideology alien to America's history and traditions. Gender, how about gender policies, specifically males and female sports? Males playing female sports. Uh, the Democratic uh, Party supports allowing males and women's sports, banning therapies aimed at helping children and adults with gender dysphoria. And you can research that. There's a lot in there. I'm familiar with some certain people in California that could not even counsel a seven-year-old person that was dealing with uh, gender identity because the state of California makes laws against any counselor or pastor or spiritual leader to deal with someone that is having a issue with their sexual orientation or their gender identity. The Democratic Party supports uh, males and female sports and the other, and then the Republican Party opposes that. All this is in my notes. I'm going over it 
line by line. I am reading it, and I know that you can go back and read it, but I feel real strongly to, to do this and obey God. Two more issues. One, second to the last issue, is government versus private health care. Private health care and government health care. And I'll just say on a personal level, I did live in Italy for eight years, and I, I saw social health care. And the level of social health care compared to the level of uh, health care in America is there's a vast difference. Otherwise, why would people from other countries come to America to get help? The Republican Party says this, any honest, any honest, uh, any honest agenda for improving health care must start with repealing of the dishonestly named Affordable Care Act. It has driven up prices for all consumers. Their insurance premiums have dramatically increased while the dedu deductibles have risen about eight times faster than the wages have risen in the last 10 years. It must be removed and replaced with an approach based on genuine competition, patient choice, excellent care, wellness, and timely access to treatment. The Democratic Party platform says, Democrats have fought to achieve universal health care for a century. We're proud to be, a, be the party of Medicare, Medicaid, and Affordable Care Act. We fundamentally believe health care is a right for all people. And... and the health care, market solutions, not government mandates. This is supported by the Republicans. To assist all, including those with pre-existing conditions, to obtain cover coverage in a consumer market. The Democratic Party opposes that. But, guys, it, it sounds good that you're going to get something for free. But somebody has to pay for that. And taxes come into the picture. Taxes. When we're taxed, somebody's paying for it. Somebody's getting free services, but somebody's paying for it. Everyone that pays taxes. Do you pay taxes? So nothing is really free. Talking about the economy, last, last issue here. The economy. The difference between government provision, which is uh, the Democratic Party supporting this government provision. Government will create new jobs, regulate wages, and promote shared prosperity, income redistribution. Economy, the, uh, the Republican platform talks about individual enterprise. Government cannot create prosperity. Deregulation and tax cuts enable individual investment creating more jobs and higher wages. So, guys, I'm, I'm just bringing out these issues to say that there's a, a vast contrast. There's a vast contrast of, of what's going on. It's not about a personality. It's not about a popularity contest. It's not about which actor endorses this candidate and which actor our football player, our basketball player endorses that candidate. Guys, 